Let's know, friends, as the Lord would help us, turn to the chapter we read, John 8, and we'll uh, read again uh, verse 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And we'd like to focus our minds for a little this morning on that question asked by Pontius Pilate, what is truth? Now, this question is the foremost of all questions asked in every culture, in all ages, maybe asked in different ways, but this is what is being asked. What is truth? And the more educated the world became in God's providence, the more eager this question has been pursued. And if we go back in history, we see that the great Greek philosophers like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and others like them, they delve deep into this subject. So Pilate wasn't unique in asking his question, what is truth? In the context, in the immediate context, he had just heard Jesus referring to the truth twice. Verse 37, for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. And then everyone that is of the Truth, hears my voice. Now, of course, Pilate wasn't sincere when he asked this question. He actually asked it in mock sarcasm. It's almost as if he was spitting the words out. Ah, what is truth anyway? To Pilate and to many others, truth is merely a religious concept. However, others who are much wiser than Pilate was, uh, such as these ancient philosophers, they realized that truth is important and that truth is a fundamental aspect of our existence. And they realized also that it is infinitely more than sincerity or honesty or candor. Paul referred to truth in this way. This is in Ephesians. The truth as it is in Jesus. And of course, he was referring back to the claim that Jesus himself made in John 14. I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, amongst other things, truth is essential to reason to rationality, to justice, and even to sanity. Even to sanity. And that's why we should be 
very concerned about the present trend to make truth whatever an individual wants truth to be. In our modern world, there is no longer what used to be known as universal truth. That is truth that was recognized across nations and cultures. Now, this is something that until fairly recent times, and maybe even now for many people, we haven't thought much about. We haven't thought much about universal truth because we didn't have to. It was woven into the very fabric of our lives. And that has been the case since biblical times. It's like the air we breathe. It's just there. It's part of who and part of what we are as human beings. Indeed, it's one of the building blocks of reason and rationality, of wisdom and logic, of decency and civility, of law and order. When you think about it, truth is absolutely essential in so many ways to our existence and to civil society. Now, consciously or unconsciously, we're always making appeal to universal truth. And in a civil society, universal truth is the gauge of right or wrong, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, what's wise and what's unwise. So the consequences for us in losing universal truth will eventually affect every aspect of our lives, and it's already doing so. Mark my words. We're going to explore, with the help of the Holy Spirit, some aspects of this truth. First of all, we want to look at the source of all truth. Pilate asked his question because largely of his ignorance of the word of God. This is where all people fail that do fail in issues of this nature. They are ignorant of the teaching of the Bible. Isn't this the answer Jesus gave to somebody else who posed a question to him that he should have understood the answer? In any case, Jesus said, you do err. Why? Not knowing the scriptures. And that's always why and how people err in this life, in their thinking, in their analysis, in their conclusions, not knowing the teaching of the word of God. Now, my friends, the Bible isn't called holy merely because it's a sacred, religious, and hallowed book. Not not even in the first instance. The Bible is holy because it is a record of God's infallible mind. Hence, Jesus spoke those immortal words, which we know very well, but perhaps we don't appreciate the import of the words to our very existence. Man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. And he said that because every such word is truth. Now, that's the basis for the claim that Jesus made when he declared himself to be, I am the truth. And Paul saying the truth as it is in Jesus. Any and every other claim or definition of truth must be measured against that standard. So when God opened his mouth, as it were, if I can use that phrase, at the dawn of history, every word he spoke was and remains universal truth. His very first words, the very first words that God spoke, they carried their own demonstration of truth. Listen to them. You know them well. Genesis 1, verse 3. God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. Light had to shine. Not merely because of God's creative power, but equally so due to the truth of what God had commanded. Let there be light, and light had to shine because God had spoken the truth. That's why Genesis 1-3 is what we call a verifiable statement. And then God proceeded to speak truth in each step of creation week. And the truth he spoke towards the end of Genesis chapter 1 with regard to humanity is of particular importance to our day and to our generation. Listen again to Genesis 1 verse 27. Male and female created he them. That, my friends, is where and how and when human gender is established. That's the truth of God, the inalterable truth of God. And any aberration to that truth is due to sin, and it's not the normal. Meanwhile, over his magnificent creation, where truth was in perfect harmony with its consequence, whether it was the physical creation of the universe or mankind, God pronounced his benediction, which still stands. Behold, it is very good. Humanity as men and women, that's what's good. Nothing else is good regarding humanity in the gender sense. Man and woman. So truth begins with God. He is the source and the fountainhead of all truth. And that's what Pontius Pilate and people like him needed to learn. Although, like today's generation, he didn't want to hear it. Look at verse 38 again. When he, that is Pontius Pilate, had said this, when he had asked this question, 
Look at the next few words. He went out again. He didn't for a second ponder the words of Jesus when he said, for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. He didn't want to hear it. Pontius Pilate didn't believe that any more than he understood the concept of truth. No, my friends, and I have to speak to the younger folk in the congregation because you are far more open to being influenced by the spirit of our age and generation. Don't you fall into that snare. Don't you fall into that snare. Remember these five points. God is truth. God is the source of all truth. God bears witness to the truth. God made truth a universal concept. And it's impossible to separate truth from Jesus Christ. And never has all of this been so significant to adults and to young people as it is today. It is not an exaggeration, my friends, sadly, to say that truth has all but disappeared from the conversation and interaction of modern society all but disappeared. In fact, we are witnessing the fulfillment of Isaiah 59, verse 14. Truth has fallen in the street. And we should be mourning over that tragic reality. Let me move on to look at the enemy of truth. Now, most folk readily accept that Satan is God's greatest enemy, and the hostilities between them began even before creation itself. And ever since God expelled him from heaven, Satan declared war on God. He declared war on God. There's no other way of stating this. So whatever God says, whatever God does, whatever God loves, becomes a target for Satan. And that found, of course, its vilest expression in the persecution and suffering and death of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And not only so, but Satan uses a thousand and one weapons in his war against God. Now, if you are a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a believer in the word of God, if you live by the teaching of the scriptures, you must realize you are a target and your children are targets. Meanwhile, we must focus ourselves here on Satan's opposition to God's truth in particular. His resendetti, his entire existence and purpose is to oppose God's truth. That's what lay behind his first question. Has God said? He was questioning the truth that God has spoken in the Garden of Eden. And here's why. Truth represents God. Truth is synonymous with Jesus Christ. Truth is the mission of the Christian church. 
Truth is essential to human decency, and truth is vital to real liberty. Not to mention that truth is essential to the gospel itself. So notice Jesus' words about Satan. This is in John 8, verse 44. There is no truth in him. He's void of truth. No truth in him. But listen to what else he said. He is a liar and the father of lies. That's the enemy you face every day, my friends. He's a liar and the father of lies. And by those lies, he's challenging and undermining God's truth at every opportunity and more today than ever before. Now, to help us here, we're going to consider this truth as what is universal in all ages and across cultures. Across cultures. This has no respect to religious affiliations. It's across cultures. And due to the rejection of universal truth in education, in politics, in social engineering, and in the media, it is important to notice some crucial areas of this rejection. Now, time doesn't allow me to go into any detail on this, and it doesn't even allow me to highlight, but four uh, important topics that are under constant assault by this war Satan has declared on the truth of God. Now, some of these assaults are new. They've been there uh, almost from the very beginning. But others are pursued today with reckless abandonment. And each attack is sheer evil. Sheer evil, my friends. Let me mention the four. The first universal truth, that is truth as applicable in all ages, is a truth of creation. Already referred to Genesis 1, in the beginning God created heaven and earth. Now that truth is confirmed throughout the duration of biblical history. 1,500 years it took to compile the Bible. And through each stage and phase, men have confirmed that God created this world. And divine creation also testifies to its own veracity. How does it do that? By its unchanging design, by its symmetry, and by its very purpose. That's what the psalmist was singing about in Psalm 19. Look up into the heavens. What do they testify to? The truth of God's word. And everything the Bible teaches us about creation, the sun, the moon, the tides, planets, and all the rest of it, they correspond, do they not, with what we understand and what we witness all around us. They correspond with it perfectly. And being governed by divine power gives us confidence that the sun is going to rise in the morning 
and that the sun will set in the evening, that the tides will ebb and flow exactly as God commanded. And alternative explanations, however scientific, regardless of the supposed evidence, comes ultimately from the one Jesus called the father of lies. And that's confirmed, in my view, by the absurdity of their so-called scientific claims. To suggest this entire universe in all its intricate complexity rose out of some mysterious Big Bang, it's a classic case of science falsely so-called. And equally so, the nonsense figure they give us for the age of the earth. The latest figure I've read, for, listen carefully to this, 4.543, not 5.42, not 5.44, billion years. What does that mean? It's a laughable figure. Meaningless to most of us. Only a world that wants rid of God and wants rid of God's truth could seriously consider and entertain such garbage. But a gullible public prefers those views than the simple facts of universal truth. However, it's more than choosing one view over another. Oh, my friends, it's much more than that. Dismissing God's universal truth in any way, in any way, is to call God a liar. That's a serious charge, my friends. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 3, Let God be true, but every man a liar. Have you thought about those words? What did he mean by that? He meant everyone that speaks contrary to the truth of God is a liar. That's what he meant. That's the first universal truth on creation. The second universal truth is the Bible's account of human origins. For thousands of years, people believed the three claims of Genesis 2, verse 7. One, God formed man from the dust of the ground. Two, God breathed life into his nostrils. Three, man became a living soul. For thousands of years, people believed that these truths, and this, of course, in the scriptures, follows the intelligible stage-by-stage pattern of the physical creation in Genesis 1. And throughout history, this universal truth made sense. It's not merely that people believed it. It made sense to all those that pondered their origins. 
Why did it make sense? How does it make sense today for those that believe it? Because it fits perfectly with our understanding of humanity. Then came the more absurd claims of science falsely so-called. All religious interpretations of origins are now cast aside. Only intellectual analysis of her roots and of her ancestors is to be allowed. The physical resemblance between man and ape, the intellectual resemblance between man and other creatures, demonstrate well, does it not? The, the for science falsely so, so, so called claims. Doesn't it all show that we have all come from this mysterious blob of slime? The only difference between you and an ape, so they tell you, is that you have evolved by a faster route. And without a shred of real evidence, they insist that evolution makes more sense than the universal truth of God. And again, sadly, a gullible public drink it down like water. They prefer to think that they came from a blob of slime and that they're going to return to a blob of slime with no God, no accountability, no judgment. There's only this life that's only the here and the now. And who's dancing with joy? The father of lies. The enemy of God. However, my friends, the universal truth of God will await them in the judgment. I brought your attention to the psalm we were singing a moment ago in Psalm 139. That psalm, my friends, makes infinitely more sense on this subject than the nonsense of evolutionary theory taught in education and by the media in our generation. I must move on. The third universal truth is God's account of morality. Now here we meet the unchanging nature of God's laws. At Mount Sinai, God codified a framework for all religious, moral, and ethical behavior, which you will find in Exodus chapter 20. Now, although this was all in existence long before uh, Mount Sinai, in an unwritten form, and this is what's important, once it was announced, once it was recorded by Moses, it became binding on all humanity. So that each one of the Ten Commandments stand as examples of God's universal truth. And as God spoke each one, they became binding authority over all of humanity, and impossible to change. Now, this puts the content of the Ten Commandments, such as Sabbath keeping or honoring your parents or sanctity of life and such like things, it puts it beyond 
any human religion or society to define and to interpret. In other words, God's moral law is God's sovereign territory. Spelt out for us in the simplest of terms and designed, you may have noticed, to be both recited and memorized with ease. How wonderful is our God. It would be impossible to create a better code of conduct. It helps everyone. It harms no one. And that's why Jesus insisted, here's how you must live. By every word that proceeds from the earth of God. Now, this divine universal truth has clear teaching on a number of subjects very much in vogue in our day and generation. But I want to emphasize this. We don't need social engineers to teach us, our generation and our children, on ethics, on gender, on marriage, and such like topics. We don't need them to speak to us on that. God has already spoken on that. God is our teacher on these subjects. And any philosophy in conflict with his word is but a wicked and harmful lie. End of. So we don't need, my friends, to read up on the latest books to refute the lies of Satan in whatever, whatever form they take. Our best response to all of these isms is quite simply this. Thus saith the Lord. God has already spoken. And it's only by standing under the banner of God's universal truth can we find ourselves on safe ground. So again, let God be true and every man a liar. The final universal truth is on spiritual salvation. This was the greatest tragedy in the life of Pontius Pilate. When he asked his rhetorical question, because I suppose that's what it was, the key, the key to his own salvation, the answer to his question, whether he wanted to hear it or not, was standing right there beside him. Standing right there beside him. So however important and significant the first three universal truths are, here's the one we need to get right most of all. Most of all. Men and women can think what they like, at least in a certain sense, on creation, on human origins and Ten Commandments. But on this subject, on this subject, my friends, it's God's universal truth on sin and salvation or perish forever in hell. It's as simple as that. And what that universal truth tells us on this topic, it's not complicated. Every single member of the human race is a sinner due to our relationship to the first Adam. Romans chapter 5. By one man, sin entered the world. 
Sin polluted every member of the human race. Now, the thing about this sin, my friends, is that God hates it. God hates sin as much as he hates Satan. And furthermore, God must punish it. And I underline the must. And the only escape from that penalty and punishment, my friends, was through the man that was standing right beside Pontius Pilate. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And Jesus accomplished that salvation through suffering and dying and being resurrected on the third day. But here's the question that Pontius Pilate should have asked. What must I do to be saved? That's what he should have asked. And when another asked that question, he was given this simple answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And that answer itself, my friends, is a universal truth of the gospel. doesn't matter who asks it. It doesn't matter what their circumstances might be. It doesn't matter how old they are or how young they are. It doesn't matter what sins they have committed. The universal truth of the gospel gives the same answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now, my friends, let me close this question, this sermon, that question to yourselves. Where does this lead you? Are you like Pontius Pilate, still not knowing what the truth is as it is in Jesus? Not knowing what God's universal truth says about heaven and hell? Are you still like that? More important still, do you believe with all your heart, soul, and mind, child, adult, do you believe the universal truth of the gospel? If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Not you might be, you shall be saved. That is God's promise, my friends. And you remember what the Bible says about the promises God has given. When he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. It's a promise that cannot be broken. And it's given to you in the gospel this morning. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, gracious Lord, we thank thee for the truth. We thank thee for that stabilizing influence in a civil society. We thank thee for that teaching that sets before us the glorious things of God, the way of salvation, the wonder of a crucified Savior, truths that have stood men and women in good stead for hundreds and hundreds of years. 
Oh, may that be appreciated by this congregation this Sabbath morning. May there be even one who would grasp this universal truth with both hands, refusing to let it go until God blesses him or her, be a child, be an adult, and may it all be to the glory of thy blessed name. Amen.